Well, this is a big weekend in the life of the MyFair family. Our uh, oldest daughter, Laura, is graduating from Wheaton College. And uh, I look at those pictures and I can hardly believe how fast it's gone. Just like they told me, it goes fast, they always said. And it's true, it goes fast. And so I'm speaking to a bunch of you on Sunday morning and I'm going to say happy Mother's Day to you. And to all of you here tonight, and uh, it's fitting to talk about generous living on and around Mother's Day. Because when I think about my mom, and I think about most moms, I think about moms being givers and servers. And that was my mom. She died five years ago uh, this weekend. And when I think of Moody, you know, Moody is Swiss German for mom. When I think of Moody, I, I think of a woman with a big heart. And who would always say, let me show you how much I love you as a little kid. And she'd hold her arms out like that. And then she'd give me a bear hug that about squeezed dinner out of me every night. And she loved Jesus and she loved people. She was a generous woman. And we're talking about generous living. We're asking God, God, grow our hearts. Loosen our fingers and our hands around the stuff of life. And it's exciting to think about Uh, The giving of our treasure today on this Mother's Day weekend. Now, generous living is rooted in this biblical truth. We learned this last week. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. That means everything we are, everything we have belongs to him. And generous living begins as we understand that. All that we are, all that we have, it belongs to God. So today... We want to talk about sharing our treasure, generous living with our treasure. It's what we were just singing about, walking by faith in this whole thing of of money. It's this whole thing we were just singing about, loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, every room, even, even our money, even that place in our life. Now, you think about the economy, and it's big time in the headlines. I mean, it's, it's part of the political landscape that's going on right now and it's it's everywhere there talks there's talk about recession there's talks about people losing their homes and foreclosure we're just amazed as we drive up to the gas pump and go 369 unbelievable you guys like you're acting like you're used to it like 369 that's unbelievable and you know that's going up and other parts of our money and finances seem to be going down and and the question is, how do you think about money? I mean, when you see that $100 bill up there, that, that Visa card, what kinds of thoughts pop into your mind? Now, historically, Christians have kind of been on two sides of this issue. There's some that say when it comes to, to money and wealth and riches, it is a sign of your spirituality. If you're a godly person, God's going to bless you with lots of money. So the more money you have, the more spiritual you must be. Well, then there's the whole other side of the paradigm, and it says, no, 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 no. Money, that's bad stuff. Like, you want to get rid of that stuff. That stuff will pollute your heart. What you need to do is take the vow of poverty like the Franciscan monks and divest yourself of all that stuff. So how do you think about money? Is it good? Is it bad? Something you ought to be thinking about getting rid of, or is it somewhere in between? Well, we're going to talk about that today. 
Turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy 6, because Paul's letter to Timothy has a lot to do with just this, money. You'll find it on page 841, 1 Timothy 6. Now, as we're going to go through the chapter, first part of it, and then the latter part of it, we're going to see that Paul's talking to Timothy about two kinds of people. The first group are the kinds of people who want to get rich. And the second group is the kind of people who are rich. So I don't know who you are. Are you a get-rich kind of person or are you a rich person? Now let's remember how you answered that and let's see how you answer it at the end of today's message. Here's what Paul says to Timothy in verse 9. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So the Bible, God is talking to us right now about money. And the Bible is reminding us that how we think about money And what we do with money today makes an eternal difference. It's huge. Not just for now it's huge, but for forever it's huge. How we think about it, what we do with money matters for eternity. And here's what the Bible says to those of us who want to get rich today. It's dangerous. It's deadly. Watch out. Watch out for the love of money. Now, let's be clear here that the context, if you go back and pick it up in verse 6 and following, you find out that these people Paul's talking to have the necessities of life, food, shelter, clothing. The Bible doesn't teach that we should be content if we're destitute. It doesn't say that. But it says this very clearly. The love of money is deadly. People who want to get rich, Paul says, fall into temptation They fall into a trap. They plunge into ruin and destruction. And the direction, if you were to start saying, put arrows, where's this text going? It's going down. Everything's moving down when you love money. The love of money will take you down. Now, the temptation is the first thing he talks about. It's a temptation, this love of money, to make money our goal, to make money our God. The temptation is to think money will make us happy. The temptation is that if I have a lot of it, it means I'm successful. I'm I'm relatively safe. The temptation is that I want it so much that I may compromise to get it. There's lies that are going on with this thing called the love of money. It's a temptation. The temptation comes from the tempter. The temptation comes from the one who's called the father of all lies, And we have to ask ourselves, what are the lies? What are the lies that I'm believing today about money? He didn't just talk about temptation, though. He talks about a trap. The trap of money. Why is it a trap? Is it because maybe we never have enough of it? Someone put it like this. Gold is like salt water. The more you drink the thirstier you become. Here's how Solomon, one of the richest men who ever lived, put it. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Ecclesiastes 5.10. 
Or the proverb says, do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone. They will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Proverbs 27, 24, riches don't last forever. It's a trap, this love of money. Any of us trapped today in this love of money? He goes on to say there's this destructive nature to the love of money. The ruin and destruction point both to this life and to the next. How many people do you know? How, how many families have been taken down because of this love of money? I think of this kid who was in our junior high group and was a small group leader for a lot of years, six years for junior high and high school. Great guy, great athlete, successful, made a lot of money, and he got hooked into this love of money thing. Got hooked into gambling. He's lost it all. He's lost not only his career, he's lost his marriage. With his marriage, he's lost his kids. His closest friends and his family can't trust him. He's completely been undone. This whole thing of the love of money. Its destructive nature is not just something for this world, but as the text talks to us, it lets us know it has everything to do with an eternal destruction. In Proverbs 28, 20 and 22, we read, A faithful man will be richly blessed, but one eager to get rich will not go unpunished. A stingy man is eager to get rich and is unaware that poverty awaits him. What an irony that those who love money and desire riches end up in poverty. Maybe not in this life, but ultimately the scriptures say there will be an eternal poverty to our state and our condition. The teaching here is that the love of money damns our own souls. That's what Jesus was talking about. When he says in Mark 8, 36, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world, all of it, to be the richest woman in the face of this planet, the richest man, but to lose your own soul, that which lives forever. Paul, as he keeps going through these two verses, three verses here, says this desire for riches is, is the love of money. Do you see how he calls it? It's the love of money. Now, this verse gets so misquoted. Let's look at it again carefully. Remember, it's the love of money, not money, that is the root of all evil. And it doesn't say all evil, does it? It is a root, not the root, of all kinds of evil. It's the love of money that he's talking about. Really important we note that. And Jesus said when we love money, what ends up happening is we make money the goal. We make money the God that we bow down to and worship to. I don't know if you've thought about the Ten Commandments lately, but I was thinking about the Ten Commandments this week, and I thought, that's really interesting. Because the Bible starts talking about greed and the love of money and talks about it being like idolatry. Jesus talks about serving two masters. And Remember what the first commandment is? You shall have what? No other gods. No other gods. Do you remember what the last commandment is? Thou shalt not covet. Isn't that interesting? The first one 
and the last commandment has everything to do with the Bible's teaching here about money. That's what Jesus said in 624 of Matthew's gospel. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I remember a little kid who heard that teaching. He said, well, let me try. And some of us are doing that. Let me try to do both. Jesus says you can't do it. You cannot do it. So what's the cure? Well, the cure is to get the right desires. If the wrong desires is this desire for money and the power that comes with it and the privilege that comes with it and all the pleasures that come with it, get the right desires. Don't desire money. It can't deliver on its promise. Run from it, he says. Flee that, but pursue desire. Look at the list in verse 11. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Don't love money, Paul's saying. Love God. Love the things of God. Pursue godliness and pursue God and the things of God. Be freed from this which will destroy your soul and ruin your life. Look in verse 6 through 8. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Here's the reason. Because we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. That's how we came into this world. That's how we're going to leave this world. Nothing in our hands. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Will we? Are we? Food and covering is the word there in the original Talking about clothes, talking about shelter. Is that what makes us content in America? Is that what makes you content? The basics, the necessities in life? It's not really the stuff of this world, is it? It's not the stuff of America. I mean, just take storage units, for example. We now possess, and these statistics are three years old, so I'm sure it's way over this, 1.9 billion square feet of storage space. 42,000 facilities. I'm guessing we're well over 2 billion now and we're probably pushing 50,000 facilities. I just saw a new one go up on our way to dropping the kids off at school. They're all over the place. And I'm just using this as an illustration of we got a lot of stuff. We got so much stuff, we don't know where to put it anymore. And you, you, you put these things together that our houses have gotten bigger in the last 30 years, about 50% bigger, from about 1,600 square feet to about 2,400 square feet, and our families have gotten what? Smaller. So we got less people in bigger houses, and we need more, and we've got three-car garages now. You know, we got, a, we got a lot of stuff. We got a lot of stuff. What's that about? Well, there's a lot of different reasons for it, but one of them surely could be we're not content. We need a little bit more, just a little bit more. Paul says, love God, not money. Be content with food, with shelter, with clothing. Flee from all these things, this desiring to be rich. Remember how we think about money matters for eternity. We should not look at money as neutral. Money is a gift from God. It can be used in great ways, but we should when we look at money, understand this has the potential to ruin me if I don't think about it and use this correctly. We ought to see it as much as a liability as an asset. And that goes contrary 
to our normal way of thinking and the way of this world's thinking. It'll pierce us with a lot of pain and griefs, he says. And did you notice? He says many will wander. I mean, think about somebody wandering. When you wander, you're kind of slowly, aimlessly moving in a direction you're not sure. It doesn't happen very... It's not a quick 90-degree turn off. You wander away from the faith when you love money. Hear the warning of God's Word. Now, God's Word then moves in verse 17 to the rich. See it in verse 17? Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. I, I love how he puts it there. He reminds us that there's two kinds of riches that we could have. Riches in this present world and riches in the next world. And we're going to see the importance of understanding the difference. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. Yeah, you know what's the problem with this verse? Is you're thinking, rats, too bad so-and-so is not here today. Because you know what? They're rich. They need to hear this. Too bad. Ah, good thing I can get this CD because I know just who to send it to. We don't think we're rich. Friends, we're rich. Myanmar cyclone reminds us of the riches we have. Have you seen the pictures? The devastation, 22,000 dead, another 42,000 missing. Most estimates say it's going to get over 100,000. Remember that the, the tsunami was 185,000 killed. I mean, this is huge. 100,000 potential dead? Do you know anything about this country? I started Googling it, trying to figure out about this country. The average income per person in this country, guess how much a year? $1,500. The average household income of Dane County is $56,000. $1,500 a year. Is that around $4 a day that they're living on? Friends, we are so rich. We spend... $50 billion a year on our pets. Teenagers this year will spend $112 billion. We're rich. This is a word for me. This is a word for you. Command those who are rich to not put their hope in wealth and to not be arrogant. So what's his word to the rich? The first is that. Don't be arrogant. Don't be arrogant. How does arrogance show itself when we have riches? Well, it shows itself in attitudes. These attitudes are subtly expressed. But it's the attitude that we got it because we worked harder, because we're smarter. We think we're better. We're, we think we deserve these riches. And we think those who don't have it, the, the poor, they're lazy. They're not intelligent. They deserve to be right where they are at. I would never say that. But it's just subtly there in a, 
in the back recesses of our mind. And every now and then, something like that slips out. The Bible's clear, Ecclesiastes 5.9, that our wealth and our possessions all comes from God. All comes from God. And when we think these proud thoughts about money, what we're doing is we're thinking about it completely apart from God. We're, we're doing life without God at this point. We're thinking it all has to do with us. It has nothing to do with God. And what ends up happening is it clots our hearts from growing and flowing in generosity. It's the very stuff that God told Moses to warn the people about as they were on their way into the promised land, a place of prosperity, just like where you and I live. Deuteronomy 8 Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine homes and settle down in this new promised land, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then here's what's going to happen. Your heart will become proud and you'll forget the Lord your God. You'll do life without Him. The God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Verse 17, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. He says, don't be arrogant. That's for us. Don't be arrogant. Don't put your hope in wealth. Verse 17. I remember early on in our married life, got this new job, youth pastor, couldn't believe what great it was, and wanted to be wise steward with God's money and want to start investing. My youth pastor buddy said, hey, I got a friend. He's giving me good advice. Why don't you let him talk to you? So I let him talk to me. He said, here's a good, safe place for you to throw your money. So put $1,000. $1,000, man, that was a lot of money. A lot of money. Safe investment, he said. Two years later, it was gone. It did just like that verse in Proverbs. It grew wings and it flew. Bye-bye. It was gone. Some of us are thinking about retirement. Some of us are thinking about the future. Where's our trust? What, what, are, what are we resting in? What's our hope in? That, that our portfolio, that our diversified investments are going to win the day? Or, or is it in God? Is it in God? Isn't it great that in our country, at least for this time, printed on our Dollar bills is the phrase, in God we trust. That only goes back to 1956 for our paper money. 1864, a two-cent coin was the first time it was minted in our coins. In God we trust. Isn't that a good reminder? I don't, usually see, I don't really see that when I look at bills. Do you see that? I'm always going to the corner. Which one is this? Or maybe the face. That's a good thing to look for when we handle our money. In God we trust. Is that true? He said, for those of us who are rich, we ought not put our hope, our confidence, our trust in money. It'll let us down every time. 
and Jeremiah, the people of God, trusted in their wealth, in their riches. And God said, you didn't trust in me, and I'm going to end up taking you out into captivity. So you learn. Your confidence cannot be in money. It can't be in horses and chariots and alliances. It can't be in false gods. It's got to be in me. And so the flip side of it is put your hope and trust in God. And so the question is, how do you know if you're doing that? How do I know if I'm trusting in money or if I'm trusting in God? Has everything to do with this. Has everything to do with this. Because when I'm trusting in God, my hands are open. When I'm not trusting in God but trusting in money, I'm doing this, doing this. Psalm 84 says this in verse 11. No good thing does he, God, withhold from those whose walk is blameless. You know how you're going to know if you're trusting in God? You're going to do good with the money and resources that God has given you. You're going to be rich in good deeds. You're going to be generous and willing to share. That's how you're going to know where your trust is. Generosity is the cure for greed. Generosity is the cure for wanting things selfishly that go above and beyond what you need. It's the cure for materialism. It's the cure for what 1 Thessalonians 2.5 calls idolatry. Jesus says, watch out, Luke 12.15. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Remember, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So we were bouncing this theme of generous living around some of the artists in what we call CAC, Creative Arts Community. And one of the emails came back, and I just got to read you some of these excerpts. What does it mean to live like this, to put your trust and hope in God? It says, being liquid enough to hand $100 to someone at a meeting who you hear is going off on a missions trip. Being liquid enough to hand $100 to someone who's just shared a need about someone else that they know, and you're ready to help them. It's showing up in a home of a newborn baby with a full-baked turkey dinner and all the trimmings to say that we love you. Congratulations. It's taking someone to the shoe store that you noticed on the street, maybe it's State Street, that's worn plumb through their soles, and it's apparent they can do nothing about it. It's what next Sunday's all about, Super Sunday. Doing good, being rich in good deeds, showing a little bit to a watching world what our Heavenly Father's like. He's a generous God. He's a God who's willing to share, shared his own son. And what does verse 19 say happens when we do this? In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Laying up treasure, laying up treasure. Randy Alcorn has written a great little book, The Treasure Principle. If you've recently joined the church, you've got that book. It's an important book in the life of our church. And he illustrates this point in this way. He says, life today is like a dot. And the future and eternity is like a line that keeps on going. He says, we have, a, we have to ask ourselves a question. What are you going to live for? Are you going to live for the dot? 
for today or are you going to live for eternity? God's word is saying to us today, live for the line. Live for eternity. Don't live for the dot. Here's how Jesus put it in Matthew 6. Don't store up treasures for yourselves on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we were singing that song. Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And, and when we sing all our heart, and when we hear God say the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, that means everything we have. That means this. God doesn't have your heart if he doesn't have your money. He can. We think, we think he can. That's what the scripture says. Your, your heart follows your treasure. You can't love, I can't love the Lord, my God, with all my heart if I'm holding back. You can't have that. I can't trust you with that. I know I'm kind of a control freak on that area, but God, just be patient. I can't be doing both. It's as clear as a nose on our face here from the scriptures. And so living generously means we're laying up treasure in heaven. That's what it means. As we hold it loosely here, acknowledging it's all God's and giving it generously and willingly. It's about money, but it's about a lot more. It's about our hearts, isn't it? It's about who we worship. It's about our eternal destiny. That's what scriptures are saying here. Show God you trust him by living generously, sharing your treasure. So I want to give you two challenges we wrap up today. The first is a tithe challenge. Now let me say something about tithing. Tithing is the word for 10%. It was a clear command in the Old Testament. You start adding up all the tithes, you find out they gave a lot more than 10%. The tithe challenge recognizes that this is a teaching in the Old Testament that really isn't repeated. If you are really thinking about the important question, how much does God want me to give? I mean, in one way, the answer is all of it. He wants all of it because it's an attitude. And the New Testament, when it talks about giving, never gets down to a tithe. It never talks about a percentage. It talks about the attitude of the heart of giving generously, giving sacrificially. But there's something to be said about there's a discipline here that Christians for many years have used relative to giving, giving back to God. It's that first fruits giving. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. It's honoring the Lord with our wealth, with the first fruits of our crops, of our vats. And the tithe challenge comes from One verse in Scripture, actually it's a couple verses, in Malachi chapter 3, verses 7 through 10, and it's the only place in all of Scripture that I have found where God says to his people, test me. Test me on this. See if it's true. So listen to this from Malachi chapter 3, 7 through 10. And Malachi, you remember, is the great Italian prophet, Malachi, some of us call him. He's the last prophet in the Old Testament. 
Here's what he says. Will a man rob God? This is actually God speaking here. Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you, God, in tithes and offerings? You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Now, I want to be careful about God's promise of blessing. I want to be careful about saying it's always material or saying it could never be material. God's blessing can be both. He says, test me in this and see if I will not pour out my blessing that you won't have room enough, you won't have enough storage units for it. Spiritual? Material. So here's the challenge. The challenge is, take the next 90 days. And in these 90 days, that gets you to about August 8th, August 9th, something like that, where for the next 90 days, you're saying, God, I'm going to give 10% of my earnings back to you. I don't care if it's to this church. Hope a lot of it's to this church. But you, you, you give where God's leading you to give. At the end of 90 days, if you regret that decision, you come back to us, and whatever you gave here, we'll give it back to you. Just test God in this. See what he does. There's a lot of us in this room today that would tell you this has been a key place for us to grow in our walk with Christ, and he's not failed us. He's given us so much more spiritually, materially, than we ever dreamed of. This whole principle is a key thing for you parents raising up kids. Here's how it went when I was a kid. We didn't get allowance. We just got chores. I don't know how it worked in your house, but we just got chores. But on Sundays, when you got to the table, Saturdays, you know, it was always the list. On Sundays, there there was a little offering. Dad would give us an offering. Teach us the importance of giving. As I can't remember a day where I didn't go to church where I didn't have an offering to give. Teaching our kids that this money is God's, all of it. And as you think about it, think about giving back to God. Think about saving some of this. Think about spending some of this. Start teaching our kids. So that's the first challenge. It's the tithe challenge. I hope you'll take it. You won't be disappointed. You know what the average percentage of giving is in America, by the way? 2.5% of income. You know what the average giving here at Door Creek is? Just about that. Just about that. You know what it was 50 years ago? 6%. We have more money and we're given less than we did 50 years ago. Okay, here's the second challenge. I'll call this one the debt challenge, the get out of debt challenge. Man, this is a whole different message. But here's some things that I want you to consider. I I want some of you to just say, enough, enough. We can't keep living like this. This is not good. We've become a slave. It's it's killing us. It's it's hurting our marriage. It's hurting our relationships. It's, It's just, it's taken us down. Just like the scriptures say, it's taken us down. 
So here's some things from Crown Ministry. Crown Ministry is a great resource that you can look into. Here's five things that they would encourage us to do as we think about getting out of debt. The first is the attitudinal thing of transferring ownership. Just acknowledge, God, it's all yours. The debt, the money I'm making, it's all yours. Second, give the Lord his part. I'm not going to tell you it's 10%. Just start giving to the Lord. And it's for a lot of us, we've gotten in this concert. God, as soon as we get out of debt, man, we're going to give you a lot. Start giving. Start giving. Third thing, allow no more debt. That means cut up those cards. Have fun. Put them in the oven on a, on a, on a cookie tray and melt them. Make a collage. Hang it up so you can see it. We're not going to go down that road anymore. If you're, in a, if you're in the habit of regularly not being able to pay off your monthly credit card, then cut it up. Stop. Don't. Yeah, yeah it's funny. Okay. Uh, develop a realistic budget. A realistic budget that addresses the, in, the debt problem. And then retire the debt. Go after it. Get help. Get accountability. And you need to know one of the cool ministries, quiet ministries behind the scenes, is a financing counseling ministry. No cost. There's no angle. There, there, there's nothing there that you need to worry about. It's, it's confidential. And you call the church office and we will hook you up with some of our financial counselors. You should know about some of the other resources here. There's the resource of Good Sense class. We just had 28 people go through it. Great stuff. You don't have to be in debt to learn a lot of great stuff on Good Sense, on what the Bible teaches about money. And First Fruits is, you know what? I just decided this week as I've been thinking about it, I'm signing up for First Fruits. First Fruits is a way that you can regularly, just month in and month out or every pay period, just have your funds going right to the Lord's work. And at Door Creek, we allow you to do that through First Fruits, through bill pay or the electronic withdrawals, and just, just use these resources to help you in this discipline of giving. And so, take the challenges. What's God asking you to do today? Well, let me give you a final story about a woman named Ruby. Ruby's husband was dying of cancer. He owned a business. It was a business that treated water and um, she didn't know anything about the business. He had a year to live. And in the midst of getting ready and getting the house in order, she asked her daughter to help kind of get a handle on the business. Her daughter quit her job. She got into the business, started looking at the books, and came back to Ruby and told her the bad news. We haven't paid bills for three years. Three years. Ruby's husband didn't have the heart to tell anybody. And so here, she's, she's just overwhelmed with the reality that she could lose her husband and the family business in the same year. So what does she do? Rudy, Ruby decides to pray. And she felt distinctly that God told her to do one thing. She was hoping God was going to say, Ruby, you are a great woman in all things you're doing. She said, I didn't hear any of that. What I heard God say to me, just one word, Give. So she went and talked to her husband. said, I feel like God's telling us to give. Now, this is a business that hasn't been able to pay its bills for three years. The husband says, well, it can't get any worse. So if you feel God's telling us to give, well, let's give. So she goes down the office. She talks to the secretary. says, I want you to write a check for $1,000 to our home church. The secretary looks up and says, what? 
Not on your life. We don't have any money. There's no money in the bank account. And if we did, we've got a lot of bills to pay. Ruby reminded her that, you know, she was her boss. And if she wanted to continue working here, she should do that. Secretary wrote the check. A week later, her husband died. She forgot all about the check. A month later, she's back in the business. She's committed it to the Lord. And she says to the secretary, by the way, what happened? What happened with that $1,000 check? The secretary said, you won't believe it. There was enough money to clear the check. She says, good, write another one. We we can't write another one. Every month that year, she wrote a $1,000 check. You know what started to happen? The business started turning around. At the end of that year, the three years of bills in arrears were all paid off. And then slowly, a little bit more, and a little bit more. By the time that Ron Blue finishes telling the story, he says, she's giving $20,000 a month. Say, business was doing well. Don't love money. Love God. And be like God. Be generous. Don't trust in it. Trust in him. And let him blow you away at how he takes care of all that's going on in your life. Let's pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, you're a great, generous God. Keep us from the love of money. Keep us from pride and arrogance, from trusting in it. May we be and grow to be generous people who are part of a generous church showing a world around us our great and generous Father. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen.